0: Hey there, this is Ella Hay. Just a warning, today's episode deals with sexual harassment and abuse, so
1: please take care when you listen. And you know, the word systemic is very annoying to me at this point because we've had a lot of these reports. Sally
0: Jenkins is a sports columnist for The Post. We wanted to talk to her about a damning new report on systemic abuse and harassment in the National Women's Soccer League
1: and why the problem goes beyond one sport. What the word systemic means is everybody knew, okay? It means there was knowledge at the top of women's soccer, that there were these complaints from women's players. There was no reason to think they were not credible. These are some of our top athletes in the country and nobody did anything. They treated the women like they were the problem, like they were the source of the trouble, and they needed to just shut up and play. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm
0: Elahe Izadi. It's Tuesday, October 4th. Today, how U.S. women's soccer failed its players. And what needs to change
1: in women's sports. The report was issued by Sally Q. Yates, the former acting attorney general of the United States, who was hired by the U.S. Soccer Federation to investigate claims of abuse by players. The complaints had reached a critical mass. There had been several resignations by male coaches, players alleged sexual misconduct, sexual coercion. All sorts of transgressions by coaches. And you know, these are pretty powerful women. The, the the women who compete in the National Women's Soccer League and USA Soccer, as Sally Yates noted in her report, you know, these are not shrinking violets. And so if they had a complaint, you could bet that it was pretty tough stuff that was going on. And in fact, the report found that it was far worse than anyone realized. Although some officials at the top of U.S. soccer and the top of the league uh, did have some knowledge. They had complaints and they hadn't acted on them. And so what Yates found was that there was systemic abuse in women's soccer.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I've heard that word a lot. And I feel like I've seen a lot of reports in the recent years in athletics and other fields about the sort of systemic issues. Um, And I do want to learn a little bit more about this particular report uncovered. But I guess one question I have is, what does it say that— A former attorney general, Sally Yates, was the person tapped to lead this investigation.
1: Well, this is a charade that we see quite a lot now with our sports federations. They get caught red-handed by investigative pieces in the press, like our fabulous investigation from, you know, the Washington Post is what really helped trigger this entire investigation. They were outed in the Washington Post newspaper. And soccer officials then had no choice but go through— you know, the motions of trying to make it right. We see this over and over and over again. We saw it with USA Gymnastics and the Larry Nazar scandal. You know, we've seen it with U.S. swimming, U.S. skiing. You know, these sexual misconduct scandals, these athlete abuse scandals happen. It turns out there was knowledge about it at the top that they had received reports and didn't act on them. And then they go through the motions of a, appointing an independent investigator who issues a invariably incredibly scathing report that shows that things were much, much worse than even we at The Washington Post knew.
0: And who does Yates specifically fault for the systemic abuse?
1: Yates faults—well, A, the coaches who perpetrated the abuse— for instance, a rather lovely character named Christy Hawley.
0: And I'm sorry, you say you say lovely sarcastically, right? <laughs> I
1: say lovely at the height of sarcasm. So there's this really nasty character, Christy Hawley, who would bring players in for, quote, film sessions. And in one instance, he told the player, Aaron Simon, that he was going to touch her for every missed pass that showed up on the film, and this resulted in him putting his hands down her pants, up her shirt, and basically groping her. She managed to sort of push him off and then got in a car with a friend and, and burst into tears. Players made complaints about some of these coaches trying to coerce them sexually, and nobody acted on them. There was nothing. I mean, one of the complaints came from Kristen Press, a member of our national team team, a two-time World Cup champion, Olympic champion. And Kristen Press said, you've got a problem with this guy, Rory Dames. He's creating a hostile work environment. And that was back in 2014, 2015. Absolutely nothing happened. I mean, nothing. It was to the point that another coach named Paul Riley, who also had been the source of complaints, literally came very close to becoming our next Olympic coach.
0: And what were some of the other big, shocking details and complaints that that shocked you.
1: Well, one of the most shocking things is that the owner of the Portland franchise, you know, had very, very credible reports and did absolutely nothing about it. Again, there's absolutely no reason, you know, to doubt it when one of these people says to Sunil Gulati, who was president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, or to David Flynn, who was the CEO of the soccer federation when you receive a report an emailed report from you know one of these women who are one of your most precious resources in US soccer and you somehow find that she is the issue i mean one of the things in the report is an email that suggested the player was really the problem right that it couldn't possibly have been paul riley so there was credence given to the men in these situations and not to the women you know who really are the center of the organization. The players are soccer, you know, not these executives, not these officials.
0: And Sally, have any of the players whose complaints were surfaced in the report said anything publicly and have the coaches who were named in this report responded to the findings?
1: There's dead silence from the coaches who I think really on the spot right now. To back up for a moment, you have to realize that literally half of the coaches in the soccer league were fired or let go as the result of some sort of complaint from their players, half the coaches. That's the extent of the abuse that these women were dealing with. It was very hard to find a safe harbor team that you wanted to play for where you weren't going to have to put up with some sort of verbal abuse, emotional abuse, or sexual coercion. One of these guys, by the way, you know, was involved in youth soccer and yet was telling girls about snowballs, which was his word for you know, masturbation and ejaculation. I mean, the grainy details in the report are really shocking. The players themselves have issued statements, including statements calling for, you know, the resignation of the owners of these franchises who sat by and did nothing. Wow,
0: half half the coaches. I mean, I, I'm I'm just thinking about any other institution, workplace in which you would see something like that.
1: You would see it only in another women's sports team under the Olympic umbrella, This is a real scourge in our athletic movement at the national level. Congress has tried to clean up the United States Olympic Committee and its oversight of the women's sports programs in which abuse keeps happening over and over again. It's very difficult to name an elite national level sport that hasn't experienced something like this. I mean, swimming, uh, skiing and snowboarding, equestrian, for God's sake it's really an epidemic. And the question becomes, why? Why are we doing this over and over again? You know, if it can happen to our top most elite soccer players, what's happening to women who don't have their stature? Congress has a lot more work to do here in terms of holding people to account. I personally am getting really, really sick of reports describing, quote, systemic abuse and never holding the individuals at the top of these organizations to account for harm to athletes.
0: Yeah, and this and this report does put a spotlight on the US Center for Safe Sport. Can you just explain what this body is and what is its purpose and and what you find to be, you know, do they have any um can they do anything about about what this report is finding in these wrongdoings?
1: The Yates report to me does something very important here, which is put a finger squarely on the inefficacy of safe sport. And just to explain, safe sport is a body that was basically organized by the United States Olympic Committee to address the last great scandal, the Larry Nazar scandal, where, you know, this team doctor was allowed to molest girls for years at a time without any action, despite complaints coming from the athletes. Safe sport is is basically supposed to be the bureaucratic entity that investigates these claims by athletes against coaches or adults or officials in the Olympic movement. The trouble with safe sport, as Sally Yates found, is that it looks to me, based on her description in the report, like just another evasion tactic. It's basically structured to avoid litigation. It doesn't appear to be built to do anything serious on this question, on these issues. And the testament to that is a stunning statistic in the Yates report. SafeSport, between 2019 and 2020, received about 1,500 complaints from athletes, and it managed to administratively bury or stymie or simply, you know, halt with no action whatsoever over 1,300 of those complaints. There were only 122 cases that proceeded to some sort of formal resolution. Now, that's unacceptable. The other thing that Yates lays out in the report is that there are literally about 30 employees at SafeSport to deal with 11 million American athletes under USA Sports umbrellas. That's unacceptable. SafeSport's budget is only about $23 million. Now, I don't think the fix here is to throw a bunch more money at a bureaucracy that is clearly failing. To me... You know, the way you deal with white-collar crime is you put someone in shirt cuffs and handcuffs.
0: After the break, we talk about what accountability could look like for U.S. soccer. We'll be right back.
1: So,
0: Sally, do you think there will be any kind of accountability for the National Women's Soccer League? What about these particular coaches? Will any of them
1: face legal consequences? Senator Richard Blumenthal has already announced there are going to be new congressional hearings into this report. So that's a good thing. That means that there may be some new federal regulating of the Olympic movement, which is really badly needed. The players are demanding that the owners of these uh, pro franchises who received complaints and did nothing, step down. And I think that will probably happen. I don't see how some of these owners can remain in the league. The Washington Spirit has a new majority owner as a result of the fact that the players really revolted against the management of their franchise. So I do think you'll see some of that. But again, that doesn't get at the systemic problem. The systemic issue is men in suits at the top of these organizations who do not take complaints from athletes seriously and they bury them to avoid litigation rather than conducting full, transparent investigations. That has to stop. And it may not stop. I don't think it will stop until these guys face serious, serious consequences for burying complaints.
0: Yeah, and to the point that you've made that— These are elite athletes. And when we're talking about national women's soccer, I mean, the United States dominates much of the world in in soccer when women's soccer. Um, And and the fact that these soccer players have made complaints that this report found that did not result in any sort of accountability or action. uh, I mean, what does that say about our broader culture and what it means to be uh, an athlete who is also a woman in this country, whether you're, you know, a, a girl a little girl who wants to who dreams one day of being an elite athlete to you know those at the very top of the the profession
1: you know it's a great point that you make because in some ways you know our sports are the makers of our manners and particularly olympic sports they set the tone for how we conduct a lot of our youth sports they set the tone for how we develop promising talent they set the tone for how we basically teach children and so you know this story has much broader tangential impact than just on our most elite soccer players there's millions of american families who are trying to decide whether to place their daughters in youth soccer programs or other youth sports programs and it's really critically important who's leading and coaching those organizations but also you know who has oversight of of these programs and whether the people at the top are enforcing, you know, appropriate conduct with children. And the Nazar scandal, you know, was the first tip of the iceberg, but it turns out it's throughout our youth soccer programs. The critical question becomes how many talented young women bailed, uh, didn't make it, uh, you know, couldn't, handle it anymore found it just you know too unpleasant of an experience and gave up or left the program or didn't ascend uh, the way they should because they struggled you know with emotional issues as as the fallout you know how how many people are we losing in this system you know we we know who makes it to the very elite level and this is another point in the olympic system ultimate success is making it onto the national team And there's really only one route to that. And it goes straight through these coaches. So they can really block your career. They have a leverage over you, no matter how talented you may be or how prominent you may be. If they wanna leave you off that national team or bench you, you're cooked. You're know, you in trouble. Your career is in real trouble. And this is one thing that prevented a lot of them from complaining or going really public um, for a long time. And we've got to fix that. It
0: also strikes me that there was a lot of conversation and attention on the pay that women soccer players were receiving compared to their male counterparts. How much of that pay inequity conversation has to do with what this report found?
1: You know, one of the underpinnings of this entire deal is that women's soccer has had to fight so long for any kind of real justice in every way. Uh there was the pay battle, you know, they they launched a you know a lawsuit against their own federation just to be treated decently in terms of hotels and travel and to be paid anything close to an equitable wage with their male counterparts. And so it's not that surprising that this you know, sort of abuse would have been going on because as Sally Yates says, they're conditioned to accept it from a very young age at every level of the program. You know, disparate treatment, disparate justice, disparate treatment of their complaints. The Women's Soccer League, uh, some of the things in the report describe just the lousy living conditions that they were given. And they were told, you know, just be grateful that you can play any kind of professional soccer. The commercial enterprise comes ahead of every other concern. And the league has to be a success. And so you can't complain about anything.
0: And Sally, is there anything specific to soccer and the way it's structured in this country that would create this environment where you would have so many coaches who would be accused as abusers? Or is this just part of what it, you know, when we get into the upper echelons of any any sport or any system where there's only so few slots for so many people that it creates a ripe environment for this sort of behavior?
1: You know, the Olympic movement is sort of a magnet for abusers because there is such a narrow path to the spots on those teams. And so if you're a man who likes to bully women, it's a pretty ideal setup because you have instant massive leverage over your charges, you know, on the team over the roster spots. So that that's a rather uncomfortable setup. One of the things that we could consider here is for many years, the women's basketball Olympic team, there's a board that's an advisory board. Usually the coach gets their way in terms of who they want on the team, but there's a pretty strong advisory board role in women's basketball. And we could strengthen that sort of mechanism. That's one aspect is pretty close oversight how the coaches are going about making their player selections. I mean that's a potential thing to look at but but you know what we've got to do is sit down and really think about you know how to balance out that leverage to a certain extent because I'm telling you our women's soccer players had as much power as any woman athlete other than perhaps women's basketball players and they still had to put up with this. The other thing that's really critical in the Yates report is the degree to which she addresses the youth soccer component. It starts very young, and youth sports can be real magnets for abusers. I think we have to think pretty carefully about, you know, how are we vetting these club programs? How are we vetting these feeder programs that go into our more elite sports? We've got to do a better job of finding out who these people are and making sure that they're the kind of person you want your daughter or your son working under.
0: Thank you, Sally, for your time. Thank you. Sally Jenkins is a sports columnist for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh and mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Ella Heizadeh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.